Welcome to Self-Compassionate Professor, a podcast helping academics and former academics to find wellness, meaning, purpose, and freedom in life and career. I'm Danielle Delamar. Glad you're here. Hello. Welcome to episode 41. Nice to have you. I am reporting today, I feel like a true journalist, I am reporting from my car on site (laughs) in some random neighborhood because I just ran an errand and I pulled over after running the errand to record this intro. (laughs) I feel like I'm always going, well, at least recently, I've been going to different places. Um, Yes, last week I was in my closet, if you listen to that episode, Uh, for the intro in my uh, bedroom closet just to get some space away from the noise in my house. Anyway, here I am in my car today. So it's good to have you. I'm glad you can join me here. And um, I will introduce this interview here in a second. I interviewed Allison Otto, who is a career coach at Vanderbilt. And before I get to why I brought her on, I want to just read a piece of this book, Working Identity, to you. For her, leaving academia meant not just giving up a long-term career objective, but also an image of who she should become, that important people in her life, including her mentor, harbored. The emotions she felt when she found the pile of draft articles that would have assured her professorial future show just how much giving up a possible self, even one that has become a burden or lost its appeal, marks a real loss. Rarely does becoming an ex happen as a result of one sudden decision. Instead, it happens over time. One that often begins before we are fully aware of what's happening. One study of divorce found that people who initiate the process of, quote, uncoupling are often not fully conscious that they are laying the groundwork for their exit. But the signs of withdrawal are there early on, years before they become explicit. June's disengagement from the university and from her identity as a literature professor likewise began before even she realized she wanted a career change. Four years before her academic contract ended, she moved to New York City. Before her sabbatical, she had practically lived on campus. After it was over, she did not return to campus life. Long before we start exploring alternatives, we also begin to disconnect socially and psychologically. A slow and gradual shift in reference groups, relevant points of comparison, starts to take place. June, for example, began to identify with the values, norms, attitudes, and expectations of people working in the business world and began building relationships with people outside academia. Somebody has just recently, uh, today actually, that I noticed, posted something on LinkedIn, and the quote was, if you feel stuck, change who you're listening to. And I love that quote because it speaks directly to some of the important stuff we're going to be talking about today. In this book, 
June is somebody who was a professor and was dedicated to her role and then found herself kind of not interested anymore and really drawn to investment banking. And one of the things that she does is she utilizes her university's resources. She goes to career services. She finds out who's recruiting there. She goes to the business school. She makes connections there. She starts networking. She finds a mentor. And those are the things that got her out of her old career, that pulled her out of her old career, right? Again, the quote is that, that I mentioned that I saw on LinkedIn today is, if you feel stuck, change who you're listening to. So when she was listening to academics, she was stuck. When she started following what she was really sort of interested in, this investment banking future, this career in business, that's when she was able to get unstuck, right? That's when she was able to sort of wriggle out and find a new way. And that's the point that Allison Otto in today's interview really drives home. She talks about how you are so welcome <laughs> to career services on your campus. Like go to career services if you need some help, if you need some guidance. She also talks about building a network foundation, how important it is to find a network outside of academia. So go to career services on campus, go find a network outside academia in the career that you want to be involved in. And then the other thing I wanted to point out about Allison's episode is that she talks about her own career in student services and how she got to that career and what she enjoys about it, how she had to kind of take a step back when she had been in the business world and really reassess and realize that that's not really what she wanted. And I just wanted to say that a lot of PhDs I know are interested in working on the student services side of campus rather than the academic side of campus. And if that's something you're interested in, this is also an interesting episode for you. So I invited Allison on the show because she had posted a guide for her students about how to get into investment banking as a career. And when I saw that she had posted that, I immediately thought about this case study in this book, Working Identity. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to have Allison on the show. All right, here comes the interview. Thanks for joining today. I am talking to Allison Otto, career coach at Vanderbilt University Career Center, specializing in finance. She has written a guide on investment banking and um, she helps students who are interested in investment banking to get into that field. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here and kind of share some of my insights and perspectives, and hopefully it's helpful to your audience as they're potentially thinking about transitioning into careers in finance, specifically investment banking. 
Yes, um, I think it will be helpful. And so I want to start just because this podcast is all about stories and I like to hear people's career stories. And so let me just start with your own. How did you get into career development? The joke we have in our office is none of us career coaches were six, seven years old saying, I want to be a career coach when I grow up. So it certainly is a, a non-traditional path to get into this space. And my journey is certainly um, a testament to that. So I am from the great state of Wisconsin, um, went to the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, where I earned my Bachelor of Business Administration degree. I had a major in human resource management, a double emphasis in sales and international business. So post-graduation, I worked in sales for a year. I worked in human resources for a year. And, and I really reflected and I didn't feel like I was using my skill sets and expertise to the best of my ability. So through that reflection, one of my favorite opportunities that I've had throughout my life was being an RA, so a resident advisor on campus. Mm. And I thought about why did I like that? And it really was being a resource for students to come and ask me questions. I liked being a person who could help these individuals kind of get to their next spot in life, whatever the question was. Um, so I had a friend who was in the master's program of educational leadership and policy, had a conversation with her, learned about her experience and ended up getting into the program as well as a grad assistantship in our college of business. So working with business students on a day-to-day -day basis, teaching them about professional skills and development, how to interview, you know, all the professional documents that need to be a part of the process. So your resume, cover letter, things of that sort, helping students refine those so that they could translate that into internships and careers long-term. So that's what led me post-graduation from my grad program to Vanderbilt University being a career coach and I coach specifically our economics as well as history students, but also serve those and being the primary liaison for all of our finance focused support on campus. So that's kind of how I got into this space. Many different things translated throughout the process, but it's led me to a great opportunity working with some of the smartest and, and brightest students from all across the country and world, which is very rewarding. Okay. So first of all, the thing that most struck me is when you said, when I talked to my colleagues in the office, none of us thought we'd be career coaches. <laughs> and that just cracked me up because I think that's so true. <laughs> and then the other thing I was going to say is um, that experience when you kind of look back and you were like, okay, as an RA, what did I like about that? And I liked, you know, being able to ask questions and guide people I, I guess I just wonder, and you may or may not have an answer to this, but what is it specifically do you think that that really you like about that process of guiding and asking questions? Because I think for me, at least, especially when working with college students, they're in such a monumental time going from 18 to 22 they're learning so much about themselves and what they want to do. And, you know, they're in college to eventually get a career. So I think for me, being able to help encourage students to make the decisions for themselves to pursue 
pathways of interest or provide the resources that they need to supplement their process as they go about it and create kind of the ownership on their part is what makes it exciting for me. It's to see their growth and advancement while also helping me just be able to articulate and showcase that these individuals are smart and bright and brilliant and they can do it. Let me just help provide these supplemental pieces along the way. Um, because I think we all have questions and if you don't know where to go or who to ask, it's tough to make the right decision based on what you're thinking if you don't have all the information. So I like to be kind of that individual who houses the information so that these these students can go make the best decisions for themselves long term. So will you talk then a little bit about investment banking and what you are guiding students who who are showing an interest in it? What are you guiding them to do? What kinds of things are they interested in? Like, what is it about investment banking that is pulling them? Good question. So I would say, you know, working with Vanderbilt students when having conversations with them, you know, the first thing I ask is, what about investment banking drew you to this industry, this pathway? Because a lot of times I think students hear it from their friends, from their family. Um, so that's usually, I like to debunk that, that if students are interested because of, of someone else's interest, helping encourage them to learn more about the industry itself and what they can contribute. And then I would say on the flip side, I have students who come to me and they're kind of three different areas or goals, I guess, that you would say they have when entering investment banking. So the career path is very lucrative and we have a lot of very driven individuals who are excited by the money that they're going to make in this industry. I think statistic wise, if students who pursue an internship and then earn a full-time opportunity at some of these top investment banks, will probably be in the top 1% of income earners in most states and countries. Wow. So it, it, it yes, it's very significant um, salary. So I think students who are interested, A, typically the, the money is something that's very exciting to them. I would say other students are really interested and attracted to being able to work on really high stakes deals and negotiations with important people. So typically those deals happen with CEOs, board chairs, and are really fascinated by the mechanics that go into making these big acquisitions happen. Um, and then also, I would say some students like it for the excerpt opportunities. So investment banking is a great pathway for students to jumpstart their career and then transition into a different area of finance or something else. So it, it provides a lot of foundational experience that will jumpstart their career in a very, very positive way um, and set them up well for careers post-investment banking. So kind of all the different things that go into it are what I hear from students as to why they're interested in pursuing finance as well as investment banking. Oh my gosh. So I know we're all very different, but when I hear like students who are really excited about high stakes deals and acquisitions, I'm just like, oh my God, that is so not me. I, I like that stresses me out to even hear. So what is it that's so interesting and exciting to them in that, in that realm? So they get to work with phenomenal clients. So 
I would say a lot of times you're working with some of the largest Fortune 500 companies and beyond. And that's exciting for students to say, I got to help with an acquisition with X company. I have to be discreet with who they talk about. Okay. Um, but, you know, they get to say, I was able to implement a deal. I was able to be a part of the process so that this large, prestigious organization was able to continue building upon their mission and vision and provide them the opportunities to keep moving forward. So I would say when it comes to that area, students just love following the markets. They like the uncertainty at times and being able to have an influence on the big deals that happen. Um, so that's usually what I, I hear from students um, and they do get to make some of that impact even in their internships. Um, as well as some of those entry-level opportunities that they they enter post-graduation. Will you talk about why investment banking is not for you? Because I just want to make it really clear to the audience that this may or may not be for you. And I think it's helpful to hear another person process that. Absolutely. So why it's not for me, yes, incredibly lucrative. That is very exciting, enticing. But I would say with that, individuals are putting in extreme hours. So for me, I enjoy having a work-life balance um, where, especially if you're starting in your internships and some of the entry-level roles in investment banking, I've had interns who have told me that they would go into the office at 9 a.m. and they would leave the office at two, three, 4 a.m. Wow. And they would work Monday through Saturday or maybe put in a few hours on Sunday or they're checking their emails all throughout the night, um, especially as you're getting into entry-level roles. Truly being on 24-7 is the expectation. So for me, that wasn't as enticing, but students love that. Um, the ones who pursue this they love the thrill. They love being able to have the challenge of answering these questions, being on, but that wasn't me. Um, so I think reflecting and looking into what, as a listener, your goals and expectations are when you're finding a career, um, just know that there's a lot of time and effort that goes into making this lucrative salary that comes along with this position. So I think that was the process that I usually recommend students look into or um, really reflect upon as they're planning to enter this industry. And I would also say that um, this book I'm telling you about, Working Identity, mm -hmm. um, Unconventional Strategies for Reinventing Your Career, this story mm -hmm. about this Spanish professor that went into investment banking she was so pulled to it every chance she had. She got, she was on sabbatical and she was just emotionally pulled to finance. Every chance she had to kind of look at finance and read about it and think about it and talk to mentors, she wanted to do it. Um, and mm -hmm. so you're seeing that that's kind of where students are um, that, that are really mm -hmm. being pulled to that. And I, I guess I just want to make that really clear. Like if you are emotionally pulled to this, don't, you know, sort of let yourself uh, be talked out of it because of, I don't know, some superficial reason. That's all I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. 
I always tell students, lean into those feelings. If you're feeling the excitement, the energy, when you're reading these position descriptions, when you're networking and talking with these folks, that's okay. That's a good thing. Mm -hmm. I would say if you're having reservations, if you're not feeling like this is a fit, listen to those feelings. But absolutely, like you said, like this lady experience, if you're excited, if you're energized, go for it. Because the work won't be work. It'll be exciting for you to go into the office every day. You're going to be challenged in phenomenal ways that you're going to love. Um, so I'm happy to hear that that woman had that experience because I certainly see that in students that I work okay, with. Okay. Okay. So now I need to ask you um, more about like the drawbacks. So you're like, there are the these extreme hours, but there are students who actually are okay with those extreme hours. But what are some of the, of the other sort of drawbacks that aren't necessarily the, uh, you know, it's kind of the quote unquote disadvantage of the job? I would say the process to even get into these banks is extensive. So it it's not just submitting your application to the applicant pool and hoping it happens, that they'll reach out and interview you. It takes a lot of time and effort to build up a strong networking relationship and connections with people at the banks and companies of interest to students. Um, so it, that takes a lot of time. I would say some of the students, top students that I've worked with and have asked them, you know, how did you land these prestigious internships and opportunities? Um, time and time again, they have spent months, if not years, building foundational relationships with people to get into the top firms of interest to them. So it takes a lot of time um, in that sense to build out a really strong network and foundation and then I would also say there's a math component to the interview process. So not only are you being asked, you know, why are you interested in investment banking? Why are you interested in our firm? But they're getting mathematical equations in interviews where they're having to work through essentially sample deal processes, which is a lot. Um, so it is very rigorous to even get into the industry. So that is also a drawback, I think, of the process of students getting into these, these lucrative opportunities at some of the top firms. Um, and then I would say it can be burnout. So some students love it, um, but it is very regimented in terms of you are an intern and you're an intern only and you're going to stick with your intern class or you are an associate, you are an associate and you are not really, yes, you'll be interacting, but it's very class-based, if that makes sense, or hierarchical in the process of kind of working your way up, which can be challenging or frustrating sometimes for students as they get into it because you're doing phenomenal work, but sometimes you won't be recognized for that um, one, two, even three years down the road when you start to get into some of the higher level opportunities. So I would say those are some of the other kind of drawbacks, um, as well as working in big cities. So some students, New York is not their dream city to live in. Um, so they might love investment banking, but working in some of the top firms, you might have to tailor or look for opportunities elsewhere to still fit your personal wants and desires. So I would say those are some of the other, I think, 
concerns or setbacks that students experience when entering the industry. Okay, so it seems to me if you've sort of found yourself emotionally drawn to it, you think that you're okay with the time you'd put into it and you're okay with the big city and all this, all that kind of stuff. It seems to me the most challenging piece and particularly for my audience, right? People who are leaving academia, Mm -hmm. who've not put a whole lot of time into developing relationships with people in finance. So this piece that you're talking about in terms of, it takes a lot of time, months and years in some cases to really get some of these really um, sought after internships. So I'm wondering, what are some tips you would offer to someone who is transitioning out of academia and has no network at all in finance at this point? How do you start developing those relationships? So I usually say, are there individuals in your current program that are also exiting kind of academia and wanting to pursue this pathway. I think finding individuals who are on the same track as you is always really helpful so that you can network together. You can practice interviewing together. So starting with, I usually like to say, structuring networking is the analogy of a dartboard. So starting with the bullseye, people that you know. So who's working in banks or in the industry that you might know. So talking to your friends, your professors, um, seeing if there are family members that are in the industry or connections of connections who work in the industry and start to reach out and leverage those individuals and have conversations and explain your story. Um, So at that point, those can be a little bit more informal of conversations. And then if you work to that first ring on that dartboard, then starting to reach out to your alumni networks. So a lot of the banks like to hire candidates from higher prestigious institutions. So if you have a robust network, if you're going to a great institution, regardless, look into your alumni networks to see who's working in these banks of interest to you that you can start to connect with. Conduct some informational interviews. So what I mean by that are truly reaching out to these individuals and being curious and asking them questions about their advice and insights of how you can break into the industry based on your story and where you're at today. And then kind of that outer ring, starting to reach out to cold contacts. So maybe you've made a list, or I recommend making a list if you haven't, of your top 5, 10, 15, 20 plus banks that you would want to work for create a column for networking and say, do I have a connection at this relate, at this bank that I can reach out to? If not, if there's no one in your inner circle, if there's no alumni, then reaching out to those cold connections. So someone you have no relationship with to gain their insights and perspectives as well. And I usually say reaching out to individuals in roles similar to what you're interested in, or maybe one step above, just to start the process so that you can really get insights of what these individuals are doing on a day-to-day basis and how you can position yourself well. And certainly utilize your career centers, especially if you're still a part of your programs. Those individuals work with employers and can help you get prepared. So I don't do that as my own plug for our career center, but I do see the value that 
students gain through coming to meet with a coach to get you connected to the right employers. You'd be surprised at the employers and engagement that institutions have. So I think those are usually the recommendations that I have of kind of building those foundational networks, even though it hasn't happened in like months or year timeframe. It can start that small and it can really spiral from there. And then certainly as you're having these conversations, ask, you know, this has been so helpful. Do you happen to have anyone else who's working in your company, this industry, whatever it might be that you could connect me with so I can learn more? And I, that's a great way to get referrals and keep the process going in a really quick way. Faculty, PhD students, people who are on that academic path, how willing are they to come to the Career Center in your experience? Great question. And I can kind of answer two parts. So I would say in my experience so far, I haven't worked with as many faculty to talk about career exploration, but I've certainly had staff members on campus reach out and say, I know you work in the Career Center and you work with students, but would you mind just having a conversation with me about kind of my goals, intentions, and what I'm hoping to get out of my future? Because, you know, I, I am so post-undergraduate post experience, graduate experience, you know, they're, they're well into their career, but would you mind just having a conversation with me? And you know, I've, I've certainly been happy to help professors or staff members um, through that process. In terms of faculty, I would say we do collaborate a lot with faculty individuals. So even if it's not providing career insights or expertise, but just having very intentional conversations about how to support current students and beyond through the process. And through that, I do feel like faculty know that if they have questions or wanted to talk, they could certainly reach out to us as individuals, um, depending on the industries or areas that we serve. And then I would say in terms of PhDs utilizing the center and you know having intentional conversations, um, our center just took over graduate school advising this year. So typically the graduate schools had their own career centers. So now we took on um, a majority of that. There are still a few school graduate schools on campus that do their own career advising. But I would say working with the PhD students, I have worked with quite a few. Um, they love it. They come with kind of this interest and eagerness. I would say it can be a little bit reserved at times of, you know, hi, Allison. I, I'm graduating with my PhD in economics, but, and I have only research experience, but now I want to, you know, go into industry. Is that even possible? And absolutely it's possible. And then I think it just takes a little bit of encouragement to showcase you can do it. It's just going to take a little time and effort, which PhD students, you know what time and effort is. You've spent hours and hours researching, putting time into your dissertations you know, gaining experience through that process. Now it's taking that information that you've learned and translating that into a career search process. So we certainly do work with PhD students on a regular basis. And I think sometimes it can be a little reserved in the first interaction, but with that, we're able to articulate and showcase and create steps and processes. So we always wanna make sure our students leave with a plan. Um, so at the end, we usually say, okay, now what are two steps or three steps that you plan to take 
based on this conversation and go with that. Um, so it certainly is very rewarding working with our PhD students and we see them and we're getting them in greater volume because we're showcasing the great work that we can do and we can make results happen with those students. Okay, so then that leads to the other question I have for you. Um, I have recently in the last couple of weeks come to this conclusion after talking to a couple of different people, both PhDs, who are in the process of transitioning out of academia, I have come to the conclusion that we should not say informational interviews because I it makes people freak out. Um, and, and just the idea of an interview <laughs> puts people in this mm -hmm. place of like, I'm here to like grab information from you or pull information out of you. And, you know, I'm the subject and you're the object. And, and so I, I feel like pulling back on that term might be a really good way to get people to relax into these conversations with people so that they can just learn and, and there's no more, there's no pressure. And so I'm just curious, how do you feel about that when I say that? I completely agree. I would say I work with students who are like, what's an informational interview when I talk about networking or even the term networking in general can be scary or, you know, you can just see a student tense up when you say it. And I, I'll say that and then I'll immediately go into Think of it like just a curiosity conversation. Mm -hmm. You just want to learn from an individual about their experiences. And I usually say, if this individual said yes to have a conversation with you, they're clearly already in the mindset of wanting to help. So they're not here to give really intense or, you know, have that angst in the conversation. It's truly just being curious and asking good questions. Um, so that it is a conversation in nature and you're not feeling like it has to be scripted or there's only those, you know, back and forth um, like an interview. So I absolutely second that, that we try to phrase it more so as a curiosity conversation to alleviate some of the angst that comes with informational interviewing or just networking in general. Oh, love that. The curiosity conversation sounds excellent to me because embedded in a curiosity conversation is like, this soft listening, not this intense listening, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> right. Because you bring mm -hmm. the intense energy and then that just, the, the connection between the two people just kind of falls apart. I'm wondering if you have any interesting stories or advice about unconventional ways people might break into the field um, of investment banking or, or finance more generally. Great question. So I would say some students have done consulting first and then have transitioned into investment banking. Um, a lot of the concepts, the work hours, you know, the critical thinking that you have to have in consulting can translate pretty well into finance. It's just making sure you're up to par with your financial modeling and understanding of the concepts that would be required for the position itself. Um, I would say some individuals have done kind of data analytics or have gotten some computer science experience where they're working very intentionally um, in those spaces um, who have then gained some interest in finance throughout the process and have transitioned into banking for tech firms. So I think unconventional ways potentially 
pursuing banks in the industry that you've maybe done your research in. Um, so I certainly hear of students who do like banking in the healthcare space because they have an interest in healthcare where they are now like, you know, I, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. So what can I do to position myself for a career in finance? So they'll mm. take their experiences that they've learned and translate that over, build some skills, obviously stu- still do the networking interview prep like that along the way. But those have been some other areas that I've seen students finding industries and banks that are relevant to their previous experiences and taking that knowledge and putting that into practice when they're going through the process of interviewing and then landing some of these opportunities. Um, And I usually say, you know, showcasing your interest in building skill sets along the way. So some students who have, you know, I've worked with um, a history student who had no experience in finance and banking and they said, you know, I wanna do it, what do I need to do? Um, So I would say, you know, taking maybe some online courses, you could do those through, you know, Coursera or Udemy, not um, giving plugs for them, but just ones that we have seen some students do coursework um, to gain relevant experience to add to their resume, because really what the the banks and the firms are looking for is your expressed interest in the industry itself. So now showcasing, you know, you've come to this realization, starting to build or build some skill sets or experiences that are relevant to the industry and showcasing that on your resume and through a cover letter. So certainly unconventional pathways that have gone into finance and then those individuals have truly done some networking and built some skill sets along the way through just some um, courses or doing some mock interviews with individuals or job shadowing. Um, so you're still getting that relevant experience without having to have that traditional internship to gain that experience to get into the industry. Okay, so when I hear you talk about all of this stuff, there are a few things that come to mind, and that is the deep, deep self-reflexive work you have to be engaging Mm -hmm. in at all times. Um, The second Mm -hmm. thing is just listening to what's around you and um, noticing where opportunities are and creating opportunities for yourself where none may, may initially exist. And the other thing I'm thinking about is just the the effort and the time you need to put in to do all of this. Is there anything you would add to that list? I would say just staying organized throughout the process. Oh, that's um, a good one. It, it can be a lot. So you're gaining these skill sets, you're networking, you know, you have applications that you're submitting. So whether that be creating a spreadsheet or just doing something to make sure that you're on top of everything so that you're showcasing all that you've done throughout this process as well. So I think the only other thing I would add is is truly staying organized because that really makes a difference. Total sense to me, of course. Um, And one of the things I recommend to my clients is journaling after Mm -hmm. informational interviews and, you know, at, at various points during this whole process. And where do you stand on the journaling piece? I would say I don't so much recommend journaling, but I do recommend students take notes. So like you said, the big reflective piece. So after you're having these conversations, what did you learn? What are you taking away from this? Um, And I think encouraging on the front end, 
ask questions that you're going to be able to build upon. So yes, it's great to talk about, you know, what is the company culture like, or, um, you know, what is it like the day in the life of what do you do kind of day to day? Like those are great. So you can learn, but asking questions that you could build upon. So if there are skills that they're telling you to build, if they give you recommendations of things that you can be doing, make note of that and follow up with those individuals when you've accomplished those things. So not so much journaling, but certainly taking intentional notes and asking intentional questions so that you have things to continue building upon for future conversations and help you along the way. Yes, to the billionth degree on writing about what you learned and what you took away from this thing. I completely agree. The reason I do the journaling piece is because I just want people to always recognize how they're feeling about it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? So they can be like, oh, I have a little pit in my stomach about this thing I just learned. Not just, I learned this thing, but uh, this thing is not sitting well Absolutely. No. And I, and I think we encourage students, especially those at the undergrad level, but graduate and beyond, you know, come to us if you're having feelings Mm. after these conversations. So we certainly encourage that because we know it can be a lot to process. And we're those, you know, nonpartisan individuals who can give you just a clean response that don't have any buy-in either way. We're just here to support the students through the process um, and helping them kind of sort out their feelings really um, as they're having these conversations. So I completely echo that you need to lean into the feelings and really feel them um, as you're going throughout these networking conversations that you're, you're having. So last question, and then I'll ask you if you have anything else you want to add, but my question is what is your most sort of memorable story from a student really resonating with you in terms of your own career and the work you do? So I would say, you know, I think a few stories in general with some students that you meet with regularly. You know, I think many students, you're able to give them some resources, some insights. They take that and they run with it and they land phenomenal opportunities. But the students who come back and keep asking great questions and you're able to be that individual for them. Again, they're the ones who are taking ownership of the process. You're just helping them along the way. So I've had um, two or three students now this semester who met with me in spring, maybe even last fall. Um, I'm thinking of one specifically who I met with last fall already. And they were like, okay, Allison, I didn't get my junior year internship but let's create a plan for me to get a full-time opportunity next year. So throughout the process of the year, we would have regular check-ins where it's like, okay, I've networked with X individuals at the company. I've built up skill sets in this area. I've updated my resume. You know, I've updated my LinkedIn. I've done everything, you know, and we keep building upon that and just seeing all of that hard work come to fruition and have them land the top company and opportunity, especially in the really challenging job market right now, you know, it, it's so rewarding because again, they did all the work. You're just help giving them some additional insights or perspectives that they maybe didn't think about along the way. So I've had two or three students just this year who have come 
fall, even spring semester, have worked really hard over the summer, especially those who maybe lost an internship this summer due to everything that has happened um, and how they've overcome that and been resilient through the process to create their own internships or do their own research projects that are relevant to these spaces and then land those opportunities. So I've had, again, two or three specific students that stand out to me. And I, I think that's been really, really amazing. And I think overall, just in this space, the caliber of students who are going into these really amazing firms um, and, and just seeing the incredible work that they're going to do and how passionate they are. It, it's so exciting. It gives me energy and what makes me come back every time because if they're excited, they're energetic about it, you know, it makes my job that much more rewarding to know that even just maybe one appointment that I have to give them kind of the tools that they need to take in and run with it. And then they accomplish great things or they send me the email. Hey, Allison, I know we haven't talked in months, but thanks so much for all of your help. I was ended, I was able to land this opportunity. You're like, yes, you know, you've made it. And, you know, it was just because of the work that they've done, but you were able to kind of learn about their experience along the way, which for me, I'm, I'm a social individual who likes interacting with students and hearing about their stories and experiences. And I think that's, it doesn't ever get old for me. So I think it's, again, been a really great experience working in this industry, in this space, and especially because investment making and finance in general can be very competitive. So the students who are just truly fighting to make it happen, um, and then they do, I, you can't beat that feeling. Oh my gosh, I love hearing about your passion and your investment in your students. And I I mean, that's the reason you do what you do, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so the very last thing I will ask you is, do you have anything you want to add so that this conversation feels complete to you? I think individuals, PhDs, faculty who are interested in transitioning careers regardless, I know we've touched on it, visit your career center, but truly just do some self-exploration and be willing to have the conversations with folks who are in these spaces because we as people want to help each other rise up and do the things that make them happy. So I think just being able to have the openness and ability to just really be yourself and authentic throughout the process, whether it's through finance recruiting, whether it's through transitioning careers, be yourself because you're only going to find the best opportunity for you if you're genuine throughout the process. So amen. A, yes, I think if I had anything to add to wrap it up, that would that would be the insights that I have. And um, if any of the listeners out there ever want to meet or have a conversation, I'd be happy to do so. Um, so certainly feel free to to reach out if that's the case. Okay. And what would be the best way to reach out to you? Great question. So you can either reach out to me on LinkedIn. So I'm Allison Otto on LinkedIn. If you type in the URL, it's Ali Otto, A-L-L-Y-O-T-T-O, if you look by the hyperlink. Otherwise, they can shoot me an email at Allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N, period, K, as in ketchup, period, Otto, O-T-T-O, at Vanderbilt.edu. So happy to do any kind of connections outreach via email or LinkedIn. So kind of you. And thank you so much, Allison. I so appreciate the time you've spent with me today. 
You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Again, I hope these insights were helpful as those who are wanting to transition industries have a, a better idea of how they can do so, or at least alleviate some angst that they might have about the process of transitioning. So I appreciate you having me on, Danielle. It's been a really great experience. Thanks for joining me today on Self-Compassionate Professor. I'm Danielle Delamar, wishing you a wonderful day and much happiness, health, and peace. Take care.